0: We are already in week three of our series, For His Friends, and so far we have talked about uh, Paul as a friend and Barnabas as a friend, Uh, today we're going to see Aquila and Priscilla and the role that they played as friends. In the early church movement, uh, if there was a couple that you wanted on your team, it was these tent makers from Italy. Yeah, so let's head toward Acts 18, where we'll get started this morning. Acts 18, it's great to see you out today. and yeah, I got to see the Deaver's new baby, first time at church today. Yeah, it's always so neat to see babies when they come for the first time at church. Yeah, don't forget, this next Sunday's Palm Sunday, and we have a special worship and communion service planned for the evening at 530 And make sure you invite somebody to join you for our Easter celebration coming up on April 4th. We are looking forward to this special season of remembering what Jesus has done for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And we just started our our spring teaching series uh, today in the 9.30 hour. And if you didn't make it out this morning, make sure you get into one of those 10-week classes. Uh, there's a parenting class this meeting down at the end of the hall. And we have several other offerings that we're uh, giving for the spring, and so looking forward to you being a part. Acts 18, let's read there the first three verses. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. So here in Corinth, Paul met Aquila and Priscilla. And Aquila was a displaced Jew who had been forced out of Rome by the emperor Claudius Caesar. Uh, During one period of his reign, uh, Claudius Caesar extended what was called Pomerium, which meant that only Roman gods could be worshipped in the entire empire. And so it was a law, Pomerium, only Roman gods could be worshipped. And, and soon after that, because the Jews continued to worship, many of the Christian Jews, uh, meeting in the catacombs, meeting underground, meeting in villages, uh, he expelled all Jews from Rome. And uh, obviously it had something to do with Jewish Christians, Uh, But Aquila was one of the ones who was forced out. And now in Corinth, he meets Paul. And they create this lifelong bond that is centered upon Christ, Uh, though it seems to have started because they were both tent makers. And you've probably had some friendships that started uh, in a similar way. We talked about this in the first week of the series where you have something in common with another person and then you find out that you have Jesus Christ in common, uh, maybe you're both bow hunters uh, or you're both quilters or you're both, you know, Montreal Expo fans or <laughs> you're both soccer moms or you're both RC Cola enthusiasts. Anybody still like RC Cola out there? Okay, we got two people uh, I was going to buy an RC Cola the other day. My wife told me, you got to go get some drinks for, and we were having my parents over for the last night here for pizza. And she said, go get some sodas. So I went into Albertsons to get some sodas. And the RC group was on sale three for $3. But you had to buy all three. And so I got, you know, the, the root beer and the cream soda. And then I was going to get the RC Cola for the cola portion, there was one in the store, and it's sitting on this shelf, and it looked like, you know, it had been around for a couple of years sitting on that shelf. It had stuff all over it, and so instead I chose the sun kissed, And I just thought you guys should know, but maybe you're both RC Cola people. Maybe you both love Tabasco. How many of you love Tabasco, anybody? All right, I'm just trying to get you to raise your hand for anything. Uh, maybe you're breathing air, you know, um, you had something in common. Well, well, Paul had something in common with this couple. He could sow a mean tent, and so could they. And they become great friends. They often traveled together. Go down to verse number 18. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren, and sailed thence into Syria, and with him, Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Kentria, for he had a vow. So it even talks about when Paul got a haircut. Uh, But Aquila and Priscilla often traveled with him. They were his great friends. But you know, there was more to this couple than just their tent-making abilities and their travel schedule. And we're going to see some things this morning that Scripture points out about Aquila and at Priscilla, And it's a fascinating look, really, from the New Testament uh, at this special couple and what they did and what God allowed them to do. And so we're going to look at them as we go through this. Now the notes are in your bulletin. Uh, they're also on the U version app. I know a lot of the kids today got a kid's bulletin, and there's some things in there for you. And let's start with the fact that they were always together. They were always together. In all of the biblical references to Aquila and Priscilla, we never find them mentioned apart from each other. Isn't that interesting? They are always listed together every single time. Uh, God allowed them to face Jewish persecution at home uh, together so that they would go abroad together and further his kingdom And God builds selfless couples so that they can influence others for his glory. And I I love to see selfless couples who are known together, right? When you say their name, you always just end up saying their spouse's name too, because they're together. And we have people like that here at Centennial. They're just known as being together together. And I, I thought about getting some boy, a boy and a girl up here to be Aquila and Priscilla today, but I just thought it might be too embarrassing for him, right? That, you know, if you're a little kid and, and you get called as being married to somebody on stage and then you get made fun of, you know, it'd be horrible if we did that, wouldn't it? You guys think it'd be horrible? Yeah, we probably shouldn't do that, right? Everybody's afraid now. Every boy and girl... Has just perked up in the room. They're paying close attention now to church today. Uh, no, we won't do that. But uh, you guys, wasn't it me, Brother Sidney, last week? Did did our Barnabas and yeah, did it so well. Uh, I really appreciate his hard work. We I gave him a script, a script earlier in the week. Kind of a uh, here's what I'd like to cover, and we interviewed Barnabas. He memorized the whole script. I uh, went to him Sunday morning Say, you can carry that up with you, and he I don't, I don't need it. He memorized the whole script. He worked really hard, but you know, that little portion that we did set the stage for us to learn a lot of things in our message last week, and, and so I really appreciate all the folks who are getting involved in the family worship service in so many different ways, and Yeah, I just appreciate him so much. But we will not call any kids up on stage today because we don't want to put the stigma on them that they will be talking to their psychiatrist about in 2042, right? Back when I was seven in church, you know, they called me on the stage and said I was married to this girl. They called me Aquila, right? I mean, there'd be all sorts of horrible things with them. Uh, But, but, you know, one of the things about them is they're always together, and uh, you notice that this allowed them to have influence for God's glory. I think one of the things that will wreak havoc uh, upon a marriage relationship really fast is competition. And a lot of times when people are first married, they go through a phase where they have this competition thing. Uh, Who did the most dishes? Who changed the most diapers? You know, uh, who vacuumed last? Uh, Who did the most loads of laundry? Who did the most yard work? Who didn't do what the other one did and vice versa? And uh, when you get into this competition thing, uh, there's always this current of suspicion that is running behind the scenes of the relationship. And there's these accusatory looks and these one-upping on everything. And there's no authentic celebration for the other person. And and here's what so many people in relationships like this fail to realize. When you compete with your spouse, you tear down your spouse. And when you tear down your spouse, you're tearing down your relationship. So in effect, you're tearing down yourself. You're destroying yourself. And we see so often where there's this competition thing. And listen, God did not make couples... Uh, in a marriage relationship, to compete with each other, right? God made them to partner with each other, to benefit each other, to strengthen each other where the other is weak, right? And, and so in, a, in this relationship that God gave to Aquila and Priscilla, they're together. And I think they had grown out of this competition, uh, competition phase if they'd ever had it. And they're now in the influence stage of their lives, they were together. They complemented each other. Uh, I, I've noticed this too. God doesn't normally lead people to marry their twin personality. Isn't that interesting? Uh, have you ever seen the birthday cards at, at Cracker Barrel or the anniversary cards? And yeah, they got these cards where the people, the longer they've been marrying, they start to look like each other, right? And their ears look the same and their noses look the same. And finally, you know, after they've been married for like 50 years, they look like twins. Uh, And I get a kick out of the cars. But but God doesn't usually lead people to marry their twin personality. It is uncanny how different we are from each other, uh, which is how God allows us to benefit each other and others. And I've noticed this. If one spouse is outgoing, the other one is often introverted, right? How many of you would agree that your spouse is different from you in that area. Your spouse is a little different from you. And if one spouse is organized, the other is, how should we say it, carefree, right? <laughs> and some of you don't want to raise your hands on that. You're going to get in big trouble. How many would, when well, you'd be honest. You'd say, my spouse is more organized than I am. How many would say that? Okay, now we won't go the other way. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, if one spouse is a worry wart, uh, the other one is often laid back, right? And you know, one spouse is worrying, oh, the kids are going to break stuff, and the other, the kids, where are they? There's kids here, right? You now, <laughs> you know, if one's book smart, the, the other's often street smart, right? And we uh, are made to mutually benefit one another. Uh, there's also another one that probably could be out in. If one spouse likes sushi, the other spouse likely does not. It's just the weirdest thing. Um, Now, if you have a spouse who likes sushi and you like sushi, you should grab onto that right away because that's a blessing in life. (laughs) But we are made to to mutually benefit one another uh, because we're different from one another. And, And if your expectations for your spouse are based on the way that you're formed, right, all your personality things, then that other person will never measure up to you, right? If you treat different as negative, the other person will never measure up. But, you know, if you treat different as, well, different, and you celebrate the ways God has made you different from one another, then you get Aquila and Priscilla. Always Together, this authentic, purpose-filled partnership. And, and I love to see couples who have grown and learned to celebrate differences instead of highlight differences, right? Well, I wouldn't have done it that way. I wouldn't have turned there. Uh, we, my wife and I have been married for 26 and a half years, and still to this day, and she's not in here right now, she's uh, our small groups volunteering out and about in other ministries today. Uh, but still, to this day, when we're driving down the road, uh, we're going somewhere, and uh, like going across town, and she'll say, why aren't you going this way? Well, I want to go this way. Well, are you doing a shortcut? Well, I'm just going a different way. And I'm telling you, no matter where we're going, and, and so I have possibly, maybe possibly, have gone different ways on purpose before it's possible, I, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, okay? Uh, but you know, it's interesting that, that so many people, they latch onto those differences and they just keep hitting them and jabbing them and hitting them and jabbing them. And you know what you're doing? You're like taking an axe to a piece of wood. You are splitting your relationship. And so God calls us to celebrate differences. And I get a chuckle out of differences and enjoy differences. And the things that you, this, hopefully this is true, the things that you used to notice all the time that are different in your spouse, now you think they're pretty cool. And you actually like them uh, for those differences. Hopefully you've gotten to that point. If not, we can, we've we got marriage counseling available after the service today. Um, they were always together. And I think this is so important to notice. Now, Check out this second part. They were always teaching. They were always teaching. And I want you to skip down to verse number 24. Okay? Check this out. This is Acts 18, verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos. Okay? So he was named after one of the, uh, the little g gods. A certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria... An eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. Now, I want you to—I want to highlight something for you there. When it says "mighty in scriptures," that means that he knew the Old Testament really, really well. Because guess how much of the New Testament was written at this point? Yeah, there'd be none. Okay, so he was mighty in the scriptures—the Old Testament scriptures. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them. And I underlined that. That's so powerful. They took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. They were always teaching. Teaching. You know, some people are looking for the shortcomings or the blind spots of others so that they can judge or critique them. But Aquila and Priscilla were looking for ways that they could make people better. And I'm telling you, there is a huge difference between the critic and the coach. Right? The critic and the coach. One looks at everything through the lens of a person's negatives. And the other looks at everything through the lens of a person's potential. And by the way, if you look at everything through the lens of a negative, you may be a critic. And and you may need to have to transition and ask the Holy Spirit of God to show you how to change to see a person's potential instead of their shortcomings. And and so instead of, of starting a whisper campaign about Apollos and his weak doctrine, his Old Testament ways, they took him and they taught him with love and grace. And they moved him forward from the, the baptism of John to understand who Jesus was, why he came. And he's baptized, spirit filled, and goes and does this amazing work. You know, if, if you look for another person's faults, you're going to find them. You are. And if you act like another person having faults is a major revelation, then you have bought into the cultural stupidity that we see around us every day. Where people are getting canceled for indiscretions that are the same or slightly different than the ones of the people who are canceling them. Right? It's happening all around us. Well, I'm holier than you because I've never done this. We don't own Dr. Seuss books at our house. And we, we've got this cultural thing that's so dumb. And folks, could I just bring you back down to Earth? We all have negatives. We all have faults. If we're going to cancel other people because they have faults, guess who else we have to cancel. We're all wrong about stuff. We've all messed up in discerning doctrine before. Including me. If you go back, if, you wouldn't want to do this. I for sure wouldn't want to do this. If I went back to listen, they were actually on cassette tape. The first years I was a senior pastor, uh, starting in 1998, if we went back and listened to those sermons on cassette tape, can you imagine how many things I got wrong? Right? At some of you like, yeah, you still do. And we, when we go out in the car, we always talk about what you... Uh, anyway, we, we all have faults. And, and look, if you act like you've struck gold every time you find human weakness, then you grossly misunderstand human weakness. Romans 3 says, they are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. One. Now, I want you to look at the result of Aquila and Priscilla's coaching. This is so awesome. Look at verse 27. It's talking about Apollos. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace. Now, I want you to take, take the phrase you underline in verse 26. They took him unto them. Now, compare it with the phrase that I want you to underline in verse 27. Helped them much which had believed through grace. Wonder where he learned that, right? Aquila and Priscilla took him unto them and they helped him. Now he's helping them much which had believed through grace, for he mightily convinced the Jews and that publicly, showing by the scriptures, once again the Old Testament scriptures, that Jesus was Christ. Apollos was showing Jews all around the area. From the Old Testament that Jesus is the Messiah. You say, Pastor, you can show from the Old Testament that Jesus is the Messiah? Yes, you can. He is the Messiah. And you go ahead and read Isaiah 53, and you tell me that's not talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was laid on him, and by his stripes were healed. I'm telling you, Quill and Priscilla, they enhance the influence of Apollos because Christian love builds up instead of tearing down. Christian love coaches instead of critiquing. And and the weird thing about fault finding is that the people who make it their life mission uh, to to find fault always seem to miss finding their own faults. Isn't that crazy? Like, they can find fault anywhere except in the mirror. You know the guy or the gal who can instantly and efficiently find things wrong with every person but themselves. You go to lunch with them, they can break down the negatives on the waiter. You go to the car dealer, they can break down the negatives on the car salesman that they've never even met before. But they can't spot a huge log sticking out of their own eye. I'm using Jesus' analogy there, of people who try to get a splinter out of somebody else's eye when they have a tree trunk sticking out of theirs. They have all the answers on parenting other people's kids and teaching other people's classes and pastoring other people's congregations. Woe unto us. Don't get comfortable in the cynic's chair. You will end up Miserable. I've watched people who are critical, have a critical spirit, and it doesn't get any better. They just get more bitter over time. They don't get better over time. They get bitter over time. And I love seeing how Aquila and Priscilla viewed other members of the Christian family. They treated them like they were members of the same team. Imagine that. Instead of like they were in competition. And so the relationship they had in their marriage, that partnership, being together, it's the same relationship they had with the people of God. If you get into a relationship war, it's bad for you. If you get into a war with other Christians about how goody two-shoes of a Christian you are, it's never a happy ending, okay? There's no Christian in this room that's better than any other Christian, we are all equally unprofitable without Jesus Christ in our lives. And if you get that through your head, there won't have to be any checkmark systems about how often you went to church and how often you read the Bible and how much you gave and how much you did this or that. We're all children of God in God's family. And if we take this attitude that Aquila and Priscilla had, it's going to lead to this next thing always treasured. Always treasured. The impact that Aquila and Priscilla had on the life of Paul is evidenced by his special references to them in his letters to two different churches and in his second letter to Timothy. These people, they sowed godly affection and they reaped the same thing. By the way, do you know if you sow criticism Prepare to be critiqued. Okay? If you sow love and compassion and camaraderie, then God's gonna bring it right back to you. I like what it says in Ecclesiastes: cast thy bread upon the waters, and thou shalt find it after many days. There you, go. you know, give portions out to people, and then a portion's gonna come back to you. Now, we don't give to get, it's just one of the byproducts. Is one of the blessings God gives to us. Look to Romans 16, and let's see this first reference uh, that Paul makes to Aquila and Priscilla. And I want you, as we read this, just to see if you think that there's an outflow of Christian love here. You see if you think that Paul uh, really cared for and treasured this couple of Christian faith. Romans 16. Look at verse number 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. That means there's every church that Paul had ever been to should thank Aquila and Priscilla. That means if we knew the whole story of what had happened in their lives, that everybody in the Christian realm should thank Aquila and Priscilla for their investment in Paul's life. Likewise, greet the church that's in their house. Salute my well-beloved, Apeonatus, who is the fruits of Achaia and of Christ. Okay, so that's Romans. Now, I want you to go to First Corinthians 16. Can you guys do, do that? You still moving through? First Corinthians 16, last chapter in the book of First Corinthians right at the end of the first letter here. Look at verse number 19. The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. So here we have Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and while he's writing Scripture, guess who's there with him? Aquila and Priscilla, supporting him. There, there's a treasure of their faith that's being shared with other people. Now, finally, go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Okay, can you do one more? 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I want you to notice what Paul tells Timothy in the last letter that he ever wrote. 66 AD, he's about to be uh, killed by Nero. And he writes this to Timothy, verse 19. Salute Priscilla and Aquila and the household of of Vanessa for us. So he's still thinking about these guys. He treasured them. And you can see the mutual affection that was shared by Paul and Aquila and Priscilla. And you have uh, individuals and couples like that in your life. And I'm going to give you a, a a three-tiered qualification system about receiving advice. Okay? People to treasure. Here here they are. You might want to write this on the back of your notes or somewhere. Yeah, and it's really easy system, right? People who love God. Okay? Why would you take advice from people who don't love God? Doesn't make any sense. People who love the local church. Okay? Why would you take advice from people who hate your church? And people who love you unconditionally. That means they love you whether you listen to them or not. Okay? So those three things, people who love God, people who love the local church, and people who love you unconditionally. They don't have any angle. They're not trying to sell you something. They're not looking to get anything from you. They're not watching you through a magnifying glass to find your negatives so that they can leverage them for themselves. They're real. They genuinely care about you. By the way, there's a good lesson in this. And I've already said it. I'm going to restate it for you. Don't spend much time on the advice of people if you aren't sure about their love for God, their love for the local church, and their unconditional love for you. Why would you listen to somebody who doesn't genuinely have your best interests in mind? It doesn't make any sense. Some of the worst decisions people make, you know where they get advice from? people they haven't seen for 5 years who message them something on Facebook like why in the why what did you well we we went and bought this because you know we and they don't have any good reason we went and made this decision listen uh, there are people here who love God and love the local church and love you maybe you should talk to them you know why we don't talk to those people Because we know that they'll tell us the truth. And we don't want to hear the truth. We want somebody to validate our stupid decisions. right? Isn't that weird as human beings? When we make stupid decisions, we can't just make them on our own and be happy about it. We have to actually get somebody to validate it for us. Well, I know another Christian who did this, and so that's why I did it. Okay, You know what you're doing? Validating your stupidity. That's all you're doing. Find people who love God, the local church, and you unconditionally. There are a lot of Monday morning quarterbacks in Christianity who are more than willing to tell you how to do better in life. But they may not truly care about you as a person. And we really, really don't need any more told-you-so people in Christianity. We don't need any more people whose only goal is to be right about stuff. That would be able to say, well, I warned them. You know what we really, really do need? We need some more Aquila and Priscilla types who show forth the treasures of God's grace through authentic relationships. People who are always touching lives. And that's our fourth part of the message. People who are always touching lives. We read in the passage there in 1 Corinthians 16, that they had a house in their church, or they had a church in their house. They had a house in their church, but both ways. You know, it goes both ways. It, it, uh, it's interesting that 1 Corinthians 16 agrees with the information we saw in Romans 16, that uh, they had laid down their necks for Paul's sake, and they had a church in their house. The church that is in their house, uh, it's interesting, we find that Aquila and Priscilla were actually first century small group leaders. That's what they were. They were first century small group leaders. See, New Testament churches met both publicly for corporate worship and house to house. Uh, Acts 2 says that they met in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. How do you know they couldn't meet in one house, pastor? Well, because the day before, 3,000 souls had been added to the church. Okay, Acts 20 says that they met both publicly and house to house. How do you know that they couldn't meet publicly in uh, in a house? Well, because by that time, the church in Jerusalem had over 100,000 people in it. And I'm pretty sure there's no house in the world that would hold them. And that's the model from Jerusalem forward. Public gathering for worship, private meeting for the purposes of the church that when you consider the five purposes given by Jesus to the church, they are worship, love the Lord your God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself, that's ministry, go into all the world with the gospel, that's evangelism, right? Bring them into the fellowship of the church through baptism, teach them to observe all things. So that's discipleship. So you got worship, evangelism, fellowship, discipleship, ministry. And you could experience worship in a gathering like this, right? You could experience evangelism in a gathering like this as we present the gospel like we will next Sunday uh, and talk about what Jesus has done for us and invite people to salvation. You know what you can't experience in a crowd like this? True fellowship. Ministry. Ministry discipleship. Now, there's some discipleship taking place, but but it's not all the way. It's not full. And and for those church purposes to work, you have to, uh, it's interesting, the Bible says you have to know other people and you have to be known by other people. It can't be superficial, right? It can't be, uh, you know, Jim wears a Seahawks jacket. Oh, you're a Seahawks fan? That's not fellowship. Okay, that's noticing that somebody has a Seahawks jacket. That's all that is. Fellowship happens around the purposes of the New Testament church. And for fellowship to happen, you have to meet in circles instead of just rows where somebody else talks to you. Various people are able to use their spiritual gifts and their natural abilities to build each other up. You can go and minister together as a group. Uh, We have groups that minister every Sunday that are not in church today because they're ministering in other parts of our our church. And and there's this spiritual accountability that grows between people and these relationships. And, And listen, it doesn't have to have any formal name, like small group or life group or community group or support group or Bible study group or whatever. It can just be an organic group that gets together for spiritual purposes. But you'll note in the Scriptures that every single healthy church either is a cell group of 20 to 40 people, or it's made of cell groups. Every single one of them. And Aquila and Priscilla had one of these groups in their house. And I don't imagine that it was just a gathering for tent makers. I don't think it was just a place to share the latest gossip. It was a gathering for building up believers and winning unbelievers, and we always find Aquila and Priscilla touching lives together, and we're blessed with some people of influence in this church body, as some influence as individuals, because God has blessed them to do it just that way. Maybe they're single moms or, or widows or single dads uh, or uh, young marrieds, whatever they are. God has also blessed us uh, with some couples like Aquila and Priscilla that lead groups in their houses and they grow people in Jesus. But, you know, our faith challenge today it goes back to the important trait that we mentioned earlier. The, the trait that allowed Aquila and Priscilla to hold influence. And here's what it was they looked at the limitations in others and saw spiritual opportunities. They looked at the limitations in others and saw spiritual opportunities. And that's our faith challenge today. When you see a limitation in someone, what do you intend to do about it? Right? When you see a limitation in somebody else, what do you intend to do about it? Do you point it out like it's a rare bird sighting? Like, oh my goodness, over here! Quick! Hurry! The pastor has a limitation. Look, everybody. Oh, my goodness. One of the pastor's kids is a sinner. Uh, Look, everybody. Come over here real, real quick. Look what this person at church did. Or do you spend time on your knees asking God how you can help teach and guide and love and move another person forward. And here are two people who knew Paul probably better than anybody else. They dwelt with him. How many of you understand that when you dwell with people, you get to know all of their limitations and quirks? Right? Paul probably didn't squeeze the toothpaste the right way. Just saying, he probably messed that thing up royally. But, But they found ways to bless Paul in spite, of whatever limitation they had seen, because they loved God, and they loved the church, and they loved people unconditionally. And that's the kind of influence you want to pay attention to. That's also the kind of influence you want to be. It takes a change in perspective. We all have the capability of seeing differences in others and viewing them as negatives. We all have the capability of being cynical and critical And it takes spirit-filled believers to handle the limitations of others with the grace of God, right? I can't tell you how many people over the years, since I've been a pastor, you'll go, they left church, they didn't come back, and you'll see them, what happened? Well, we found out there were some people with fault over there at the church. Like, oh, you got to be kidding me, right? Like, my mouth dropped, like, are you serious? We have people with faults at church? I'm glad you got out. Like literally, I'm glad you got out because we don't need any more stinking hypocrites over at our church. We need people who have faults and they know they have faults. Not people who have faults and can't ever figure out what theirs are. Only the people around them. Did you see what she said? Did you see what they did oh, I found out that he was just a man of clay. Well, you're darn right. He's a man of clay because we're all people of clay. And it takes spirit-filled believers to handle the limitations of others with the grace of God, knowing that we have plenty of limitations of our own. And so here's my question. What do you intend to do about the limitations you see in other people? It's an important question, and the answer will determine your influence for God, because if you determine to take other people's limitations and leverage them for something in your own life, God can't use you as an influence. But he used Aquila and Priscilla because they took other people's limitations and just poured on the grace of God, right? Right? they just pour it on the grace of God. Have you ever seen somebody somebody eat a pancake and they just keep pouring syrup? Like they take one bite and then they pour more syrup. And then they take another bite and they pour another thing of syrup, right? How many of you are syrup pouring people, right? That's what we got to do with limitations. Just keep pouring the grace of God on it again and again. And again, and you say, they're wasting the syrup. You can't waste the grace of God. Do You left too much syrup on your plate. A- at our house, I'm accused of being the peanut butter Nazi. And I've been accused uh, of this by my, my sweet daughter, Autumn, because when we have pancakes, she liberally puts the peanut butter on her pancake before she liberally does the syrup. And if I caution her and say, no, Autumn, you got too much peanut butter. She'll give me this look like one of the original Nazis. (laughs) I mean, Dad, how dare you question my peanut butter usage, right? It's kind of like this with the grace of God. There can't be too much. You just keep pouring it on. It is a limitless supply. You can't overdo grace when it comes to other people but sometimes we withhold it because we're the judge. Well, they don't deserve the grace of God, Uh, but you do. See, this limitless supply of offering grace is a key component to having influence in the lives of others. Let me pray with you. God, thank you that we could come to this place today and just allow the grace of God to pour over our negatives, our deficiencies, our wounds, our scars, our bad intentions, our humanity. And I pray that when we see a limitation in someone else, that we would treat it in a way that Jesus would treat it, that we would treat it with grace and love, and that we would continue to pour grace into the lives of others instead of leverage, leveraging their weaknesses for own gain. Well, thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.